Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. God, the people, and the land, and we also called it divinity, identity, and destiny. I want to come back to that as we get ready to come to a close of chapter 25. First is God. He's the God of the people, and he's establishing his position to them. I'm the Lord. I want you to look to me. It's God's divinity, and that impacts every person's life. Who is God to you? Is he your God? Is he the Lord of your life? That's going to impact every other facet of your life if you're under his lordship or not. Today's world has more distractions than ever before throughout your day. Social media grabs for your attention. Different projects and chores at home keep you busy. And there is almost no limit to how many hours you can spend at different jobs. There's nothing you should be getting stressed out about or overwhelmed by. As Pastor Bill mentions today, God promises to provide your needs and keep you strengthening Him when you take a step back and seek Him first over all other distractions. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Leviticus chapter 25 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. 32 and 33 now it says, Nevertheless, the cities of the Levites and the houses in the city of their possession, the Levites may redeem at any time. And if a man purchases a house from the Levites, then the house that was sold in the city of his possession shall be released in the Jubilee. For the houses in the cities of the Levites are their possession among the children of Israel. So a little bit of history here. When God gave out the land, after Joshua had won battles, they went out to do war and they were acquiring land, God told the Levites they didn't get a land. Um, everybody else was given a certain allotment of land, but the Levites were not given a land. God told the Levites, I am your portion. I'm your inheritance. And so everywhere the Levites went, they were completely dependent upon God's system. This is why it was so bad in the Old Testament when people didn't tithe. The scriptures of Malachi and the places where God is coming down real heavily on the people for not tithing. This is why the system God had set up in the Old Testament, it worked this way. There was the sacrificial system. The priest's job was to officiate all the dealings in the temple. Under the old covenant, this is how people got right and stayed right with God. Without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sins. And so they offered sacrifice. They burned incense. They made showbread. And at different times during the year, they did large sacrifices, hundreds of goats and lambs and bullocks and all these sorts of things. And if the people stopped tithing and they didn't bring in the things to God's storehouse, if they didn't bring the grain, then they couldn't make the showbread. If they didn't bring the olives and the things from the agriculture, then they couldn't press it and keep oil to keep the menorah burning, which was never supposed to go out in the temple. It was supposed to burn nonstop. If they wouldn't bring the animals for sacrifice, the sacrifices wouldn't go forth. And so in those eras where people were, as Malachi said, rob God in that way, the problem wasn't just that they weren't giving. The problem was that in their not giving, they were ruining everything that God had set up for the people. And also the Levites were to live off of. There was a portion of what was given that they were to be supported by. So the priests couldn't eat. Sacrifice weren't going forth. 
and God was upset about it. That's why it was so bad. So for the Levites, God says, you guys don't worry about land. I am your inheritance. And everywhere you guys go, there'll be a place for you guys. The place of worship, that'll be the place where you're taking care of and your needs are met. Should a Levite ever have to sell their place, it was always redeemable. It was always something that they could go back and get because that was God's inheritance for them. What can we gain from that, right? I just see a nugget I see there. The Levites have been specifically called and set apart for God's service. And as they devoted themselves to his service, God said that I'm devoted to your care. You guys devote yourselves to me. Don't worry about all the other things. I'll be devoted to making sure that your needs are met. I'll make it the law. I'll make sure that your needs get taken care of. And I believe for us as God's kids, as those that walk with him, there are principles in place. There are things in God's word where God does promise to take care of us. We shouldn't be, you know, when I read this, I think the Levites, even when things weren't going well, they should have been able to just look to the Lord. God, the people are tripping, but you said, and so we just look to you. The people aren't doing what they're supposed to be, but Lord, you said, so therefore we look to you and we cling to you. For you and I as New Testament believers, right? The Bible says he supplies all of our needs according to his riches and his glory. Um, the Bible says, it talks about it in Matthew, that we seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, that all these things will be added. And God leaves the believer in a place where he says, you just focus on me. Don't be overwhelmed and stressed out and looking at all the different things and trying to figure it all out. God says, just seek first. Put me first. Seek first my kingdom and all my righteousness and all these things will be added. I will take care of it. And that's a verse that so many people know by heart. But when the rubber meets the road in our personal lives, it's hard to trust them. It's hard to live like it's going to happen. Doesn't always happen in our timing. Doesn't always happen in the way that we would want it to happen. But God does say that. He says, look, seek me first. And so you can go seeking a solution. And that's what some people do. They start seeking a solution to the problem. God said, seek me first. I'll bring the solution your way. If you'd seek me first, seek my kingdom, my righteousness. So as the Levites were in a place of just really getting to being able to just depend on God to come through. I do believe that that's to be the posture of the believer where we're just trusting the Lord. We're saying, God, I'm looking to you. I trust you to come through. I trust you to take care of the things that concern me, be it lands, fields, possessions, necessary things. Lord, I trust you to take care of me. And I'd ask you to consider that in your own life. How well do you do when it comes to trusting God? And it really doesn't count until you get tested, until you get in a squeeze, until things get tight. How do you handle that? What do you look like? When the ends aren't meeting, what do you sound like when stuff's not adding up? Um, what does that look like for you? What do you sound like? Who do you turn to? Um, who do you cry out to? Who do you look to? We want to be looking to the Lord in those times because he's there for us. He loves us. He cares for us. And there's something about just trusting him for that. God, I'm just going to trust you for it. For most of us, it gets easy to trust God after he does it. Oh, Lord, praise him. It's in that window. It's in that hallway. When I'm waiting on God to do what I don't know how he's going to do it, just trust him then. You know, um, we want to all grow in that. God, I don't want to trust you when I can't see it. I want to believe you for that which I don't see. And um, that does please the Lord when we trust him in that way. And so moving on now, look at verse 34. It says, but the field of the common land of the cities may not be sold for it is their perpetual Possession, And that's speaking of the Levites. The land is in the, the common field lands. That was their ongoing possession. It couldn't be taken away from them. It couldn't be sold out from underneath them. God was going to make sure that their needs were continually met. Now, when we opened up chapter 25 a few weeks back, 
I told you guys there was three different things in the chapter, God, the people, and the land. And we also called it divinity, identity, and destiny. I want to come back to that as we get ready to come to a close of chapter 25. First is God. He's the God of the people. And he's establishing his position to them. I'm the Lord. I want you to look to me. It's God's divinity. And that impacts every person's life. Who is God to you? Is he your God? Is he the Lord of your life? That's going to impact every other facet of your life if you're under his lordship or not. It'll impact your life. So first of all, that's for every person. Where do I stand underneath him? Is he the Lord of my life? Is he just a God out there somewhere? It'll impact every facet of my life. The second thing was the people. Once I know who my God is, then I can know who I am. My identity is wrapped up in my relationship with my God. I don't go out here and figure out who I am. And that's the silly thing we see in this world today. People, I'm just going to find myself. I'm going to figure out who I am. You 40. You've been what you've been for 40 years. It's too late to go figure it out. You know, people trying to discover themselves. You the same old you, you know? So you don't discover yourself. You don't go find yourself. As you meet the Lord and you connect to him, God reveals to me who I am. And so as I get this right, my relationship with the Lord, now I can begin to know who I am. Okay, I'm a child of God. Okay, I live that way. Oh, I'm called the whole, oh, I'm a sojourner and a pilgrim. Oh, this land is not my home. This world that I live in, I live here and I have stuff here, but it's not everything. This thing is passing away. Oh, I have a home and a place and a future that's beyond this. So I got God, I got my identity, and it all wrapped up in that. Now I have my destiny. Because I know who God is, now I know who I am. And if I know who God is and I know who I am, now I know where I'm going. And it impacts my life. For the children of Israel, Jehovah is their God. Because of that, their identity, you're the children of Israel. You're under a theocracy. You're under the true and the living God. And your destination is where I tell you you're going. God is the one telling them, I know you live here, but that's not home. So don't get wrapped up. Don't fight over land. Every 50 years, give it back. This ain't your home. You're going somewhere else. And can I tell you that there were people that lived that? They lived it. And it shows up in Hebrews. If you're writing notes, you can write down Hebrews chapter 11. And I believe it's verse 13. Yes. Hebrews 11, 13. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. Speaking of the Old Testament saints. But having seen them afar off, were assured by them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. And so there's a group of believers that never even saw Jesus. They had heard it was prophesied and all these things, but they believed God in their era. And they lived as sojourners and pilgrims. And they're in heaven. They preceded us with a whole lot less information than us. But they knew who their God was. And they knew that they were his people. And they knew where their destination is. And they're safely in their destination right now. And so we have people today trying to figure out who I am and what do I want to do with my life and what do I want to be? That's how you waste your life real quick. I stopped years ago. I stopped asking people and kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know why? Because it don't matter what you want to be when you grow up. Some of y'all are grown up and you know now it don't matter what you want to be. You can try 20 different things that you want and God will let you try it and you'll just be wasting years and opportunity and energy and effort and resources. And you'll finally come around to the place where you say, God, what do you want to do? And God said, that's what I was waiting on. I'm waiting on you to come and let me direct your path. Because I got a plan for your life. 
There's something I've created you to do. The thing that I've created you to do is the thing that'll be the unique, it'll be the most blessed thing you could spend your life doing, that which I've created you to do. I've uniquely gifted you to do it. I've called you to do it. I'm going to supernaturally enable you to do it. And in doing it, there'll be a fulfillment for you. You'll be fulfilling your purpose as a human being. And for all of us, that's the beautiful thing about the body of Christ. It's different. The thing that floats my boat and fills my sail and it's different than what it is for you because our calling is different. The thing that God's called me to do and stirred my heart up to do is one thing. And the thing that God's gifted you, called you and stirred you up to maybe something else. But if we can all get together walking in our divine purpose, I mean, how beautiful would it be if everybody in the body just said, this is my purpose. I'm an evangelist. I'm an exhorter. I'm a singer. I'm a teacher. I'm a lover. I'm a counselor. I'm a comforter. You know, we just all came together and everybody was just 100 percent sold out to that thing that God has gifted and created them to do, how edifying would it be every time we came together? The encouragers that see the long faces and they'll be encouraging. The teachers that be answering Bible questions and they'll be teaching. The worshipers that be uplifting spirits and pointing us upward and we'd be worshiping. And we'll leave every time we gather together to say, man, that was so good because God was in us. God was among us. But you know, the amazing thing, God's among us through us, right? When we gather together, where does God live? He lives in you. And if everybody would gather together that God lives in and let God shine through, when we got together, it wouldn't be that churchy, oh, I felt the presence of the Lord, but it would be in a real sincere, genuine way. God was there in a powerful way, just moving among us. And so these things are important. It's so important that we line those things up. Uh, it was important for them way back then, and it impacted everything about them, that they would know who their God was, that they were his people. And where he was taken and what their destiny was. So uh, moving on now, look at verse 35 to 38. He says, now, if one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you. Take no usury or interest from him, but fear your God that your brother may live with you. You shall not lend him your money for usury, nor lend your food at a profit. So 38, it says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. God says, look, when one of your brothers is having a hard time financially, God says, you take care of him. You help him out. And when God says, don't loan him money for usury, God said, you can't loan him a hundred bucks and tell him, you got to give me 150 back. You can't loan money and tack on interest to your brethren. That's what God is saying. He's not saying if you loan them money, they don't got to pay you back. Um, God is saying, but if you loan somebody money, because that's what the world will do to you. You getting yourself into a financial jam, the world will loan you some money quick. 18% interest, you know, you're going to pay me back something on that money. God says to them, when your brother's in need like they said, man, take care of him. He's your brother. And don't loan him money for usury. Don't give him food expecting more in return. God says, man, take care of him. And he says two things as the qualifying reason why. The first thing he says, look, I am the Lord, your God. Why? Because I'm God. I'm the Lord. And I said, so this is what I want. Second, he reminds him in verse 38. After he tells him, I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan. God said, look, you were a slave when I got you. I'm the Lord, your God. I brought you out of the land. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget what I did for you. I brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery to bring you into Canaan. Don't forget that. And here's the lesson here for us, right? Now, for you and me, it might not be that someone's coming and they need money. Or they need something. They might, though. It happens. People need stuff. There should be a heart about us within the body where we look out for one another and we're willing to help each other out. And there should be a sweetness about that. I've known of things, even with our church body, I've known of things where 
people that had were secretly willing to bless those that didn't have. And, you know, it happens where, you know, they just do what God would have them to do. And it's a blessing and it's edifying and needs are met. And nobody's broadcasting. I want to say, man, well, you know, uh, I want everybody to know I gave you such and such. such. It's, just, it's just done in a way that the person that received it was edified and God was glorified and people were taken care of. And I do think that within a body of believers, that should happen. I mean, someone hit, come into a time of need or whatever, I think we should, as best we can, you know, step in as family and love on each other in that way. Not looking for anything in return. Not looking, well, I'm going to help you out this time, but you owe me, you know. Nobody wants anything when somebody do you like that. I'm going to give it to you, but oh, it really hurt me. He wanted to be gracious. And so God says, man, like, I want you to do right by one another because I am the Lord. And you used to be a slave and I brought you out. And so... Another application, and we talked about it the last time, is it might not be a financial need that someone has from me, but they might need something else from me that the Lord provided. And I believe that one of the things I see withheld within the body so often, sadly, forgiveness. People don't let each other off the hook. It should almost not even be the case. But sadly, there are times where they're Christian. They're like, I don't like them. And you all go to the same church. I can't stand them. How you going to be? Let me hear somebody say that over here. You know, that just should never be the case. There should never be a case. Like if you Christian, the Lord lives in you. You have the Holy Spirit. How you going to be like that? You might bump heads with somebody. You might disagree. You might have a little tiff or whatever, but you can't be showing up to the gathering. I don't like them. I'm going to sit over here. Don't talk to them. No, I don't want to pray, you know, with them. If that's you, you need to go pray. I mean, I'm putting you on blast. That is real bad sin. That's not like little sin. That's bad. That's the sin that make God mad. So when we gather together, this is what happens when forgiveness flows between us. With all the unique types of people here, you better know that we're going to offend each other sometimes. We're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to hurt. There's some people who are going to get their little feelings hurt. And the way we're going to get over it is offended people are going to forgive and offenders are going to apologize. But as a body... In order for us to keep moving forward in the way that God would have, there's got to be a point at which, hey, my bad, I forgive you, bro. And then people move on and they're released. It's not hungover. Well, I remember last year at Christmas, remember you said that thing to me? You know, that's why I don't want to sit by you. Um, I've had this happen to me over the years, uh, Pastor, where somebody had come up to you and they'll say, you know, I just want you to know I forgive you. I'm like, well, for what? We ain't even had a problem that I knew of, you know. Remember, it was a couple years ago, that one time, man, and uh, and they tell you some story about something, you're like, I don't even, bro, if you carry this for that long, you know, I'm going to buy you a lollipop, man, to pray for you, you know, but you just feel bad for them that you carried that for two years. You should have came the day after and said, hey, I didn't like that. And we could have just said, my bad, and we could have been friends all this time, you know. Be careful as a believer that you don't harbor stuff. And you're the cause of division in the body of believers. There's not unity with God wants. And be careful that you're not unforgiving when people mess up, that you're not willing to let them off the hook when people are sorry, they messed up. That we would keep, just there'd be a flow among the believers. So uh, moving on now, look at verse 39 through 43 altogether. It says, and if one of your brethren who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave. I'm going to come back to that. So I'm going to go all the way to verse 43 and then we'll come back. As a hired servant and a sojourner, he shall be with you and shall serve you until the year of Jubilee. And then he shall depart from you, he and his children with him, and shall return to his own family. He shall return to the possession of his fathers. 
for they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over him with rigor, but you shall fear God. So in this culture back in these days, um, it was the common practice for people to take on slaves. I don't believe God is condoning slavery, but it was the way of the world at this era. I got to point out that it's not the kind of slavery that we typically think of. Whenever I think of slavery, I think of black people in Africa minding their married business and Europeans coming over in boats and taking them against their will and bringing them to the blocks and selling them against their will as slaves and beating them and being rough on them, so forth and so on. That's what I think of. Um, there were two forms of slavery. So there was one form of slavery where if you were broke and you didn't have a way to feed yourself, you could say, hey, I'll sell myself into slavery. There was another way you could become a slave. Um, you could go into debt to where you either go to the debtor's prison or you become a slave to the person you're in debt to. So if I don't come to your field and took cows three different times and I'm in debt to you for three cows and they all died and I ain't make no money and I'm broke and you look at me, you owe me three cows. You're going to have to come and be working over here until you work that off. And so you'd be sold into slavery because of your own debt. That was a normal practice of this day. There was also the type of slavery that took place as they went into lands and they took over. Sometimes it wasn't necessary to kill all the people. Sometimes some of those people are going to stay back and they're going to be servants. They're going to be slaves. They're going to stay back. Instead of us killing all these people, they'll be here as slaves. So that also took place. What God says here among the Hebrews, he says, look, if one of your brethren, one of the Israelites, one of the children of God ends up coming into a hard time and he sells himself to you, God says you can't make him a slave and you can't deal with him with rigor. What that means is this. You can't be harsh to him. God said what you do is you bring him on like an employee and there's a dignity to that. God said you guys are my people. And you guys can't buy and sell one another. You guys are my people. And so God didn't want them treating one another. We'll see the way that they dealt with those that were outside of the Israelites, those that were, you know, from the pagan nations. God said, don't treat each other like that. And so he gives instruction here. So if I fell in the debt. I'm sorry, Tony, you just in the front. So I'm using you now. If I fell in the debt with Tony and I got to be there, Tony couldn't be beating me because I ain't doing it fast enough. You know, Tony had taken me on like an employee and I had to work off my debt. I had to do my part, but I wasn't out there getting beaten, kicked in the field, you know, for not doing it fast enough. So God cared about how they treated one another. New Testament application here. The Bible says that we're to be good to all people, but especially those that are of the household of faith. I should be a blessing to everybody, but I should especially be a blessing to other believers, to the child of God. There should be the way that we deal with one another, the way that we treat each other. Because why? Because we're all made in this image. We're all God's kids. And there should be a difference. And God says, I don't want you guys treating each other in that way. Uh, I want there to be a distinction. And that might mean that it's going to take longer for you to get out of it, whatever. But God says, I want you guys treating each other like that. And so once again, I think it's important for us as believers that we care for how we treat one another. I think even, you know, some people are blessed even as believers to be bosses and, you know, people lead differently. Some people lead in a really harsh, demeaning kind of way. In order for them to feel authoritative, they got to really put the smash on everybody else. And other people are able to lead 
um, from a position of, you know, there's authority, but there's respect and so forth and so on. If you're blessed to be in a position of authority, leadership, be careful how you manage that. You know, be careful how you walk in that. Every parent is in a position of authority. And that's where sometimes it comes out bad. People that know how to act everywhere else don't know how to act with their kids. Watch that shit up! You don't talk to nobody else like that. But your kids, you know, because you can get away with it. You know, be careful if you're blessed to be in a position of authority. Husbands, careful. You talk to your wife. Be careful. Careful if you're in a position of authority over anybody. And God forbid you're in a position of authority in the church. Be careful how you manage that. Because who's the real authority in the church? That's all we have time for today on The Transforming Word. But we're so glad you joined us for today's teaching on Pastor Bill. As we continue learning from the book of Leviticus together, our prayer is that you begin to understand where you come from. Knowing your roots is so important to understanding your faith and the heart of God. You may think all the rules within the Bible are outdated or just plain don't make sense, but they were there for a reason. They weren't there to punish, but rather to guide. And who doesn't need a little guidance from time to time? We hope you continue to learn more from the book of Leviticus and encourage you to read on on your own. If you're interested in hearing additional teachings from Pastor Bill, you'll find them on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. If you live in or near the Inglewood area, we'd love to meet you and invite you to join us for worship this weekend. You can get service times and location information at calvaryinglewood.org. You'll even find links to stream our services if you're unable to be with us in person, and you can catch up on previous messages online. That website again is calvaryinglewood.org. As we come to the end of our time with you today, we want you to know that we're grateful to have you as part of our listening audience. Would you join us in praying for others who are tuning in and possibly hearing about Jesus for the first time? Please pray that their hearts will be open to the truth that changes lives. Thanks for praying, and thanks for joining us on A Transforming Word.